ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first, and also to the Greek. We welcome you to Gospel Dynamite, a Christian broadcast dedicated to the salvation of the lost and the revival of God's people. I'm Alan Mashburn, your Bible teacher and the pastor of Asbury Baptist Church, located at 218 Asbury Church Road in Seagrove, North Carolina. We invite you to visit our church at 10 a.m. on Sunday mornings and Wednesday evenings at 7 o'clock. On Sunday evenings, we provide online services which can be viewed on gospeldynamite.org. Now please join me in the study of the Word of God. You're listening to Gospel Dynamite. Thank you for joining us. I invite you to take your Bible, turn with us to Revelation chapter 11. We pick up where we left off last time we were together, Revelation chapter 11 and verse 3. We'll read through verse 14. And I will give power unto my two witnesses, and they shall prophesy a thousand two hundred and threescore days clothed in sackcloth. These are the two olive trees and the two candlesticks standing before the God of the earth. And if any man will hurt them, fire proceedeth out of their mouth and devoureth their enemies. And if any man will hurt them, he must in this manner be killed. These have power to shut heaven, that it rain not in the days of their prophecy, and have power over waters to turn them to blood, to smite the earth with all plagues as often as they will. And when they shall have finished their testimony, the beast that ascendeth out of the bottomless pit shall make war against them, and shall overcome them and kill them. And their dead bodies shall lie in the street of the great city, which spiritually is called Sodom in Egypt, where also our Lord was crucified. And they of the people and kindreds and tongues and nations shall see their dead bodies three days and a half and shall not suffer their dead bodies to be put in graves. And they that dwell upon the earth shall rejoice over them and make merry and shall send gifts one to another because these two prophets tormented them that dwelt on the earth. And after three days and a half, the spirit of life from God entered into them and they stood upon their feet in great fear fell upon them that saw them. And they heard a great voice from heaven saying unto them, Come up hither. And they ascended up to heaven in a cloud, and their enemies beheld them. In the same hour was there a great earthquake, and the tenth part of the city fell in the earthquake, were slain of men seven thousand, and the remnant were affrighted, and gave glory to the God of heaven. The second woe is past, and behold, the third woe cometh quickly. We're still in a parathetical text of Scripture. God is describing a break in the action of the tribulation as he takes care of some heavenly business. As I mentioned in the last study, this is one of the most difficult passages in Revelation to interpret. There are two different facts here we need to keep in mind as we study. Number one, we're on Jewish ground. The images, the words used here are Jewish in nature. Secondly, we're dealing with events related to the future. The book of Revelation details future events. Any other interpretation destroys its meaning, destroys its purpose. Verses 1 and 2, we discovered 
that a new Jewish temple will be built in Jerusalem. The Jews will consecrate a priesthood and they will offer animal sacrifices as prescribed in the law of Moses. They will worship God under the old covenant, not recognizing the fact that Jesus shed his precious blood once for all to save the souls of humanity. The next vision that we're given is of two specific and special witnesses. God sends two ambassadors from heaven to preach his gospel message to the people in Jerusalem. It is these men and their ministry that we want to consider today as we look at the two witnesses from another world. Now, in verses 3 through 7, we look at the ministry of the two witnesses. These two men are raised up for a special purpose. These two verses, in verses 3 and 4, tell us much about these men and what they are sent to do. One, we learn that they are called witnesses. The word translates the word that gives us our English word, martyr. The word originally referred to someone who gave testimony about something, a witness. However, as so many Christians began to give their lives for the cause of Christ, the word came to be associated with those who gave their lives for their faith. These two men have come to witness to God's truth as we shall see, and they will give their lives for him soon as well. Secondly, they're sent here as a team. God always has witnesses. In the days before the flood, God had his Noah. In the dark days of idolatry in Israel, the prophet Elijah complained to the Lord that he was all alone in the fight against sin. God told Elijah that there were over 7,000 that had not bowed their knee to Baal. God has always had his witness teams. He's always had his Moses and Aaron, Joshua and Caleb, Paul and Silas. God sends two witnesses because he wants the truth to be established. The law stipulated that matters had to be established by the word of two witnesses in Deuteronomy 19 and verse 15, as well as Matthew 18 and verse 16. Third, they're sent to prophesy. Now, what will be the content of their message? Well, no one exactly knows for sure, but I think they will stand outside the newly completed temple and preach Jesus Christ to the Jews in Jerusalem. They're going to talk about, no doubt, how Jesus Christ has fulfilled all the types and all the symbols. They're going to tell of his death, his burial, his resurrection, his soon return. They will prove from the word of God that the temple and its worship are vain. They will preach the gospel of grace and salvation through Jesus Christ, and they will tell the people that the Antichrist will desecrate the temple. These men will literally be hated by Jew and Gentile because of the message they preach. They also, we must notice, they're going to be clothed in sackcloth. Sackcloth is a symbol of mourning. These men will not come with a message of peace and comfort and hope. They come with a message of condemnation and judgment to a wayward people. We also realize that their ministry will last three and one half years. And while we cannot be sure of when their ministry will begin, 
we can safely say that they will commence their preaching sometime after the temple is built in Jerusalem. They're also described as olive trees and candlesticks. This is symbolic of God's hand on their ministry. The olive tree is a source of olive oil. It's often described as a type of the Holy Spirit in the, in the Word of God. And these men are anointed by the Spirit of God for this particular ministry. The olive tree speaks of their unction. The candlestick speaks of their function. They will come to bring the light of God's message to a darkened world. Verse 5, these two men will be extremely unpopular because of the message that they have been sent to deliver. As a result, many will try to kill them, but these men are under divine protection. Everyone who tries to kill them will be killed by them. They will have the power to destroy their attackers with fire from their mouths. As long as you're in the Lord's will, you are invincible. He will keep his hedge of protection about you and keep you safe until it's time for him to take you home with him in glory. Until the Lord gets finished with you, no man or no devil can harm you. Verse 6, these two men will be able to use miraculous signs to prove the authenticity of their message. They will be able to shut up the heavens as Elijah did. They will be able to turn water to blood and call down plagues from heaven as Moses did. They will have immense power at their disposal and they will be able to use it, the Bible says, whenever they wish. Now, there are many modern preachers who claim to have the ability to perform miracles. The only problem with that is that they're lying. They are not healing, raising the dead, etc. They're charlatans, they're hucksters who only care about getting their hands on the money of those deluded people who, who, who fall for their lives. Now, these two witnesses, on the other hand, they're going to be the real deal. They will preach God's message and validate it with wonders and miracles. Now, before we move any deeper into the passage, we've got to take a moment and talk about these men, exactly who they may be. First, let me say that no one knows for sure. The Bible does not identify who they are, and no one can say with absolute certainty who they are. Now, there are certain guesses we can give, Many people believe that it's going to be Moses and Elijah. According to Malachi chapter 4 and verse 5, Elijah will return before Jesus comes. John the Baptist fulfilled this prophecy according to Jesus in Matthew 11 and Matthew 7 verses 10 through 13. However, Malachi says that Elijah would come he says, Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. And he shall turn the heart of the fathers to the children and the heart of the children to their fathers, lest I come and smite the earth with a curse. That's Malachi 4, verses 5 and 6. 
Also consider the fact that Elijah never died in light of Hebrews 9.27. And consider the fact that one of the miracle, uh, miracles that the two witnesses will perform will be stopping of the rain. This was actually one of Elijah's miracles in 1 Kings 17 and verse 1. As for Moses, he is mentioned in Malachi 4 and verse 4. Just before Elijah is mentioned in verse 5, the miracles performed by the two witnesses are reminiscent of those performed by Moses in Exodus, and it was Moses and Elijah who appeared with Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration. Now, some people believe that it will be Enoch with either Moses or Elijah. Enoch was a preacher of righteousness. Jude verse 14 reveals that. Enoch never had to taste death. We see Genesis 5 verse 24. Now, we won't know who they are until they come. And all that we really need to know is that God always has his witnesses. Secondly, I'd show you in verses 7 through 10, not only the ministry of the two witnesses, but the massacre of the two witnesses. When they have finished their appointed ministry, Antichrist will be allowed to kill them. Until that moment, they're protected by the hand of God and cannot be killed. And we're told that they are killed by the beast that ascendeth out of the bottomless pit. This is a reference to the Antichrist. He's called the beast 38 different times in the Revelation. And he ascends out of hell itself, letting us know that he is demonically charged and controlled. He will make war against the witnesses and he will be allowed to overcome them and kill them. We'll learn more about him in the next coming sessions that we have. Now, there's a blessed nugget here for every saint of God. Death is not in the hands of a man or a devil. Death is in the hands of God Almighty. As he decides when people leave this world, and you cannot die until he says it's your time. So many people live their lives in fear of death. They, they fail to grasp the truth that death is powerless over against them until God severs the golden cord of life and allows death to claim the soul. There is therefore no need to fear men. There's no need to fear armies or devils. You will not die until he says it's time, and you will not live a second longer when he says it's time to go. Now, in verses 8 through 10, the bodies of these men will be left in the very streets where they're killed. They will lay there in Jerusalem, and no one will remove their bodies or attempt to bury them. Verse 9 tells us that all the people of the earth will see this sight. Fifty years ago, it was a mystery. It was a mystery of exactly how in the world that could happen. But in our day, we have live events from all over the world 24 hours a day, not only through satellite technology, but cell phone and mobile phones and the Internet. Uh, you can literally view something in real time all the way across the world. So it is not an impossibility, of course. Verse 10 tells us uh, the people of the earth will rejoice because these two men are dead, and for three and one-half years these men have preached the gospel and caused plagues to be poured out on men. Now they're dead, and the world celebrates. They act as if it were Christmas time. They celebrate, they party, they exchange gifts because these men are dead. Why do they do this? 
because the preaching of these two witnesses drove them absolutely crazy. We're talking about a world that rejected Jesus Christ, rejected his blood. They've turned a deaf ear to Bible preaching. They've given their allegiance to the devil, and they do not want to hear about God. These men have been preaching the truth and their message of judgment and condemnation got under people's skin, and now they're dead, and the world throws a party. By the way, this is the only scene of joy on the earth during the entire tribulation. And these people are happy because God's men are dead and God's message is silent. What a tragedy. Now just for the record, the world will rejoice when old-fashioned Bible preaching is finally silenced. Oh, now they love the preaching of this crowd that exalts the flesh. They like the namby-pamby, you know, preaching that tells people that they're okay. The world hates preaching that exalts Jesus Christ and demands holiness. This world hates preaching that stands on the Bible and says there is no other way to heaven except through Jesus Christ. This world cannot stand preaching that closes the door of salvation to homosexuals and abortionists and murderers and all sinners who won't repent of their sin and turn to Christ by faith. This world hates preaching that magnifies Jesus as the only way to God. But yet they will rejoice when it is gone. Then they can settle in and listen to the prophets of love and acceptance that flood the airwaves and be happy as they plug headlong into hell. That's where we are today. And things are just going to get worse as we approach the end of this thing. But in verses 11 through 14, not only the ministry of the two witnesses, the massacre, of the two witnesses, but now we look at the miracle of the two witnesses. The bodies of these men are allowed to lie in the streets of Jerusalem for three and a half days. The world has watched as these bodies turn blue, pass through the various stages of rigor mortis, and begin to bloat. Then a strange thing happens. Those bodies begin to stir. The two witnesses stand on their feet. The world trembles in fear. Why does the world react in fear? The fact that these men are alive again after being dead for three days prove that they are the real deal. People know that they are men of God and that the message they have been preaching is truth. Perhaps they understand that this is the work of God. Perhaps they have a brief moment in time that they understand that they are marching headlong for judgment. Do you remember where you were when you watched those planes slam into the World Trade Center? 9-11-2001. You remember the anguish, the fear, and the worry. The uneasy feeling. 
You remember feeling as though your world has been upended. Imagine what these people will feel here. They're in the midst of their celebration. They are interrupted by a resurrection. Oh, they're going to watch it live on television. God knows how to not only throw a party in glory, but he knows how to bash a party here on earth. They're going to see it for themselves. They're going to be interrupted by proof positive that God, not man, not Satan, not the Antichrist, is truly in control. In verse 12, then, while the world watches, the Lord God will reenact the rapture, Revelation 4 and 1. And the two witnesses will rise up into heaven. The world will see what it missed out on when Jesus came. Maybe they'll comprehend in that moment of time what happened when millions of people disappeared in the rapture of the bride of Christ, the church. The world will be given a clear testimony of the power of Almighty God. Satan, Antichrist, and all lost mankind will be reminded God is in control of the world and everything that happens in it. They will be helpless to stop this resurrection and rapture of the two witnesses just like they were helpless to stop the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Verses 13 and 14. Before the world can catch its collective breath, a great earthquake will hit Jerusalem. God judges the city which has denied him and his Christ. A tenth part of the city will crumble to the ground and 7,000 people will die. And we're told that the remnant were affrighted and gave glory to the God of heaven. This probably refers to the remnant of the Jews. They see these events. They repent of their sin, and they call on Christ for salvation. God will use even these events to bring glory to his name. And in verse 14, we're told the second woe is past. And behold, the third woe cometh quickly. More horrors are on the way. The worst is yet to come. And in the coming weeks, we're going to look into those horrible things. I want to close with this thought. We really do believe that our world is in bad shape right now. And it is in bad shape. We talk about the wickedness of men. We talk about the hardness of human hearts and the evil that flourishes all around us. But think about this. We're living in a world that is inhabited by the redeemed people of God. The Bible is here. It is preached around the world. The Holy Spirit is here suppressing evil and hindering its spread in the world. And in the tribulation period, the church is gone. No one is praying for the world. 
No one is praying for the mercy of God. No one is praying for the judgment of God to be withheld. The Bible will be completely obsolete. It will be taken completely out of circulation. You can guarantee the fact it will not be preached in power and authority. The Spirit of God will leave when the church leaves. The Spirit of God will be everywhere as God is omnipresent, but his work he will limit Instead of blessing, instead of coming alongside and comforting, he now has the ministry of judgment. A world like that will grow more evil than you and I can ever comprehend. We have never experienced an environment in which the Holy Spirit stopped withholding evil. I am glad that I can say that I am born again and that I will not be here for these awful days. What about you? Are you born again? Are you trusting Jesus Christ as your personal Savior today? If not, you can be. If you've strayed away from Jesus Christ, you can come home today. If you have loved ones and acquaintances who will be left here for the horrors of the tribulation, you can at least pray for them today. At the very least, we need we must call on our Lord and ask him to send us a revival of our souls before the end nears, before the end comes. There's still a multitude that must be saved, needs to be saved. I trust you'll ask him into your heart before it's eternally too late. Thank you for listening to our broadcast today. We trust it's been a blessing. Trust you'll have a great week in the Lord. Log on to our website, gospeldynamite.org, and let us know if you've accepted Christ or this message has helped you. God bless you, and we trust you have a great day in the Lord.